Good afternoon, everybody. Stephen Oshansky with the State News Sports Podcast. Welcome in on a Tuesday afternoon, and we've got not a loaded show for you today. We don't have much to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we unloaded everything last show. But there is one important thing we kind of want to talk about, and that's how MSU basketball is just kind of... I wouldn't know if they're done for the year necessarily, but oh, they're no. they're far from done, but they are kind of a disappointment. We're going to bring in special guest Connor Clark to talk about that. He'll talk about that with Casey. And we're also going to talk some today, too, about how Tom Brady has now reached, I think it's his seventh Super Bowl now. Um, is he considered the greatest NFL quarterback of all time? And we're going to talk about that. We usually don't divvy away too far from MSU sports or anything, but... We don't really have much to talk about, so we'll talk about that today. Casey, you and Clark went down to Indiana, and you saw that game, and you kind of both told me before you left that Michigan State had pretty much no shot in that game to really kind of win that one. Um, Casey, I want you and, you and Clark to take me through Indiana as an experience, but also just the game and kind of what you see from this team going forward. Um, I, I think it's pretty fair to say that this is the most average team that I've seen Michigan State put out on the floor. And that's not a bad thing because a lot of it is just their youth. They're young and they're inexperienced. Um, I I think that they're a bad team on the road and they're a good team at home. They're not exceptionally bad or, like, great in any one particular field to play. And when that all kind of comes together, it's a very plain product that they put out. Um... I mean, you look against Indiana, it, good for them that they came back from almost a 20-point lead, but like Izzo said in his post-game press conference, they didn't make the plays in order to win the game. There were three-point shots contested late in the game. You couldn't stop Blackman. I mean, he couldn't catch a cold. Um, or Well, pretty much the exact opposite of that. I mean, he, he was getting everything, and it didn't matter if you put – your, your tallest guy on him, it didn't matter what kind of defense you were playing because that guy, he was going to put up buckets no matter what. Um, and now they're going to play Purdue. I, I don't really know if they can pull out a win against Purdue because Purdue's a really good team. Um, they're a very good team at home, and you saw it against Minnesota, um, a game that I thought that it was going to be really close. It ended up being a 20-point blowout. So... This team really is a different one on the road as compared to at home. Um, and it's it's really kind of up to them based on what kind of level of intensity they want to come out with. It's kind of been the same old song and dance that they have to put 40 minutes together and learn how to do it. And it's really kind of depending on the game when they want to. Um, and, I mean, yeah, that's kind of my whole spiel of things. Connor, what do you think? This is how I put together MSU basketball. So how I see them is I actually, you know, I don't see them as a playing team at all. I see them as very exciting. They have a lot of exciting guys, a lot of exciting pieces. You know, Nick Ward comes in, he's overweight, whatnot, loses the weight, and, you know, now he's he's fun to watch. That man gets a good scoring opportunity when he has it. Yeah, but what you said earlier, on the road, they're way different. You know, they sit down, you know, they kind of look mopey a little bit. I mean, we joke back and forth that just looking at Cash Wishes, like face, you know, he kind of looks like he's, you know, 40, but in like a high school man's body. Where his eyes, like, he's kind of got, you know, kind of he looks tired sometimes. He looks and, like Steven after budget for a newspaper. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, this they have, you know, they have a lot of athletes there, and they can make a lot of exciting plays. But, yeah, this team comes and goes with their energy. And when you don't have the is own and you don't have that kind of comfort, 
you know, from home. That's been a real struggle. These guys haven't gone through the grind of a Big Ten regular season. You know, Tum Tum and those guys, you know, they, they've done that. You know, they know what it's like to go through and, you know, play big games on the road. This team doesn't. I mean, they played, you know, big games in high school, but that's not college ball. No, none of those guys came into a place like Assembly Hall. That place was rocking. And when you Assembly your, Hall was the, when you hit when you hit your first six three pointers like that. That place is absolutely rocking. That's a great college venue, and they you know they just you know kudos to them for finally hitting a breaking point when they said all right enough's enough like let's play ball. Um, but they're gonna have to do that in and out. Purdue, you know they're gonna play a Purdue team. I think it's the best in the Big Ten. This team has the size. They got the shooters they they can play they can play every facet of the game so it's going to be a long night for them they're going to have to hope that you know they can find bridges and open space to get a couple alley-oops to really churn them and keep them going because as we see that kind of team that team kind of comes and goes with those oops a little bit you see them at home they get a little exciting play like that or you know someone hits a big three and next thing you know they'll actually come down and get a stop when they turn the ball over, they put their heads down and they mope, and then what do you know? They give up an easy basket. Stuff like that. Small things to where they can't let the play ahead of them affect them that much. Happens with shooters. You know, shooters need to shoot. That's what they're there for. Matt McQuaid, he's there to shoot. He needs to shoot. He wasn't doing that. Next thing you know, he has horrid confidence. He's dropping easy chest passes. Finds a spot on the bench. And it's probably going to stay that way, you know, if they give him in, he's got to produce. That's kind of how it works. Ezo needs to cut down to a smaller, you know, smaller rotation and, uh, you know, slowly getting that way. How do you get guys like Matt McQuaid over the hump here? You know, I I kind of look at that as, you know, as much as is it individual? Is it did they design something for you? It sounds like they've given him every opportunity he can. And he just is it just one of those years where he's just got to find himself in the summer again? I think it's one of those things where he needs at least a game just completely out of it uh, on the bench to clear his head. I mean, in baseball, when a guy, you look at a guy like Justin Upton, and he was hitting in the 230s for a good three quarters of the season. And there's got to be a point where you got to say, enough is enough. I have to clear my head. I've got to just take a minute, just take a game off and really kind of gather myself and just work on getting your confidence back up, work on just clearing your head, looking at the small things that you can do, and be able to, you know, get back to the form that you know that you can um, compete to. Uh, Matt McQuaid, I mean, you, you saw what he did last year. He was a pretty good shooter. Izzo said at the beginning of the year this year that he was one of the best shooters on the team, if not the best. And it, it's really kind of just, I think it's all in his head. And that's the thing with basketball, and especially with wing players like that. It's once you get in their head, it's really hard for them to kind of establish a psyche and establish any kind of rhythm. The same way that they can bring Matt McQuaid back if they choose to want to down the stretch of the season, I don't know if they feel like he really matches up for, you know, what this team really wants to go to because they have other options that can shoot threes, you know, that might be a little more versatile than he is. But they kind of give him the same treatment that Aaron Harris is doing. Aaron Harris has been up and down this whole entire season. You know, even if he squeaks out 11 points, it might not be the best shooting day. You know, he comes and goes with energy. You know, he scored 21. He finally played really well against Indiana. Unfortunately, you know, the rest of the team couldn't back him, but they kind of need him to keep that going and be that scorer he was at West Virginia when he, you know, came over. But what they do with him every time is Aaron Harris the past few days, they'll run, they love to run sets in the offensive zone. You know, this isn't a team that just likes to, you know, just, you know, figure it out, you know, free play it once they get in the half court. They want to run a play, get something going, see if they can open up a good shot. 
you know, something like that. So what they've been doing, a lot of times they start the game on the run three, four sets right to him, get him going. If they get a guy like that, you know, they get a guy like that started, he sees the ball go through the rim, boom, rim opens up a little bit. Makes another shot, boom, opens up a little bit more. Now he doesn't even have to think. He keeps shooting, keeps making it. McQuaid, you know, he kind of wants to find the ball in transition. If they can't get out and run and they, you know, can't find him, he kind of sits there, he gets a little colder, rim shrinks. You know, if they run a play for him, maybe he didn't run off the screen very well, maybe the screen wasn't set very well, couldn't get the shot off, rim shrinks a little more. That kind of mentality every time, play after play coming through, really dictates how they're going to move. A guy like Matt McQuaid or Aaron Harris, they're really suitable to, it might be a good idea if they could try to get to the free throw line every once in a while, just to see the ball go through the rim. just helps the psyche out so much. I think another variable is talking about Josh Langford, because if Josh Langford is playing well, that really kind of mi- minimizes the time that McQuaid's going to see on the floor. If you you got Josh Langford coming out right out of the gate, I noticed it against Indiana and against Ohio State, that was their go-to guy. That They made their first three-point basket with Josh Langford, and if he can kind of get the ball rolling, then I really think Matt McQuaid is, isn't really going to see as much time on the floor. Well, I don't think he should. I think you have to get to a good eight-person rotation. Beyond that, maybe nine, a little flexible, sure. Not this 11 that they've been doing. They finally trimmed off Van Dyke. There you go, now 11 down to 10. I think the next guy you got to cut is McQuaid is in that room too. I think Kyle Arns should be in that treatment as well. I think they're they're starting five when they have Tum Tum, Langford, Miles, Ward and Aaron Harris in there. That's the that's the five set that they're gonna have to go in. Kenny's gonna have to play minutes, of course, because Nick can't play forever. Whether he gets in foul trouble or whatnot, they don't got the bigs to back it up. Kenny's got to be in there. And then I think Alvin has done enough back and forth to to jump on, you know, things like that. And then of course Cash is to come in a little two guard set and do that. I think that's kind of the eight that you stick to. It can come and go depending on the team you play a little bit. You know, maybe Alvin doesn't play a little. Maybe you get a little more in foul trouble. Van Dyke needs to step up and stuff like that. But they need to cut out trying all this experimental things. At this point in time, when they're still trying to find their identity this late in the season, they have to pick something, stick to it, and then go from there and work out the kinks that way. Because everyone's trying to play, you know, how do we play with Miles? He was out, now he's back in. They're going to have to just play with the setup. They're going to learn through it because they're going to get enough time with doing it. And then they can, you know, edit it and they can patch stuff from there on out. But to try to keep matching what this lineup or this lineup or this lineup, a little late in the season to start doing that, it's obviously not working in their favor. Going back to the grand scheme of things, too, I mean, this is a big week for MSU basketball. They've got Purdue coming up uh, later tonight, and then they've also got Michigan coming up on Sunday. And Michigan is like a sneaky good team. I. I don't really want to keep bagging on MSU, but it, it seems like that's all we've kind of had to talk about lately. Purdue's a really good team. I mean, they're they're shooting 40% from three. They're holding opponents to 32%, um, and that's that's a really big thing. I mean, if you can't get Miles Bridges going, if you can't get Aaron Harris or Josh Langford going from three, even Cassius Winston, it's going to be a long night for MSU. Um, and then going forward, if you sweep this this week, I mean, you're right back towards the top of the Big Ten. I mean, they're they're kind of slipping towards the middle bit right now. Um, and but I think these two wins at home, it could do a lot for this team. Clark, and, um, you wrote this column; it, it published today about Michigan State being just mentally soft. And I kind of want you to you know, maybe expound on that. I mean, not probably everybody listening has read it, so. Uh, you know, basically what a lot of it talks about is, you know, going through with this youth and things like that. 
you know, when you go on the road, all of a sudden they're not being able to bounce back from, you know, small mistakes. You get a big win against Minnesota, and, you know, come out, you play awful against Purdue, you play terrible on the road against Ohio State, and you don't play well in the first half at Indiana. And it's these, you know, these things and this focus that every player on this team is talking about. It's not, you know, I, I guess you can put it as a good thing is they're not playing the blame game with other people. They're all pointing at themselves, you know, we have to do better. How are you going to do better? Well, we just have to focus. Well, how are you going to focus? Well, we're going to have to focus for 40 minutes. It's the same thing. It's the same broken record it's been all year. What what it comes down to is someone has to step up. That There's no other way around it. Everyone's going to look to Miles to do it because that's the clear choice on who should do it. And, of course, Miles will get his bit, and he'll you know he'll get his on the court. But it's going to have to be someone else than him. I pinned it as Aaron Harris, your best bet. Just looking at the locker room and the place like that, like watching him after Indiana, how pissed he was over that terrible start and comeback and killed him for it versus other guys he had talked to. And they saw, you know, and I, I know they all care, but some of them sound like they don't really care as much. I know they do, but they don't really put the effort into it. They're like, yeah, you know, we got to do better at this. Okay. You know, anyone can see that. Someone's got to do it. And that's this problem is they don't have someone who's going to go do it because they don't, they don't have the experience for it. They have the youth. They have the youth that's good and has all the talent, and they have the upperclassmen that has the leadership. They don't have the same talent, and it just doesn't work in this scenario. And that kind of reminds me, too, about just talking to guys during the football season when they were three and, you know, halfway, you know, when they had that, started having that losing streak until they beat Rutgers, is that, you know, every, everybody on the team would look at me and say, oh, yeah, we just need to gang tackle better. But nobody would do it every week. And so you, you kind of look and you wonder, is it, it, it always seemed like a lot of these problems always seemed deeper. Maybe there are some more, like, chemistry issues, and I don't know how in Missy basketball, how they mold together outside of, you know, what they are with the press, because we all know they're all coached on it. With, oh yeah, everybody. They probably said that focus. Oh yeah, I have to, we have to focus every forty. We have to focus for forty minutes. They probably said that in their little team meeting, you know, with Izzo the a couple hours before before practice. It's probably all the same. And I mean, this team has great team chemistry coming. When you have their four freshmen, they rave about it and they rave on how you know good they are together. Izzo said it, uh, you know, at the press conference that he loves how this team has no off the field issues at all. I mean, it's a blessing for that as a coach. You don't have to worry about it. But I think at the same time, they don't have, like, that killer instinct guy that they're going to, you know, they need a little arrogance, a little swagger to them to say, you know, we're going to come out and we're better than you guys and we're going to beat you and we're going to show you. They don't have that complex. They go out to Ohio State and they're like, yeah, you know, they're a good team. Well, of course, everyone's going to say that. You don't want to say, you know, this team's struggling. We need to get on them. I mean, Ohio State played a tough beginning of the schedule but you got to go out there with a little arrogance you gotta you have you know just like you know the baseball now you gotta flash the leather you gotta go out there you gotta show the team what you're capable of and they're not doing it they're letting teams come to them they gotta go to teams yeah i mean you you raise a really good point and aaron i honestly i haven't seen an athlete open up more than what he did after that game um and kind of going back what you said um what was that can you kind of just repeat the last thing that you said just to jog my memory just talking about how uh, oh well now even now now even I'm messing with it a little bit again. Steven, Steven, you got right. the um, I think we we're, we're talking about Trump's inaugura- inauguration. Uh. <laughs> well, anyway, going back to Aaron Harris, I mean, he was just. I've never seen a player that adamant. It was almost like he was unscripted. He didn't care what was going on, and that was the hungriest I've I've seen 
anybody on the basketball team this year. Um, and those are the kind of breakthrough moments I think you need as a team, where, where somebody just finally snaps and says, hey, I'm kind of done with the – you know, the coach speak, the team talk, whatever you want to call it. And you kind of just go, hey, I need to – we we, we got to show some emotion here because the only way, you know, to be real is got to be real with each other half the time when you're on a team like that. Especially, you know, I kind of wonder, you know, watching some of these games too with uh, – you know, just kind of wonder. There's no certain go-to guy in a sense where they're setting him up all the time, perhaps, or I, you, maybe I'm wrong with that. But there seems to be, you know, like I, – I don't know if it, the, the team chemistry isn't the same as I saw the year before where, you know, um, you know, with the Costello and and they always just seemed to knew where everybody was in a sense. I don't know if it's different with this team. I mean, they got four young guys. They would expect it to be different. And then if they develop and stay together, I'm sure that they'll turn into something good. And I think maybe, maybe this is almost a, a weight of t- or um, you know, kind of just got to wait it out in a sense. But like you said, with with Aaron Harris, you 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 need guys to show raw emotion because I think that always clicks better with just hey, this is what coach said. No, this is hey, this is what the hell I'm saying. Yeah, and. I'm kind of looking back at it now, some of the things that I wrote down um, when I was talking to Aaron. And after the game, he kind of just said that, like, he he almost thinks that people on the team are too afraid to go too hard. Like, they're afraid that they might go break a bone or they're, they're afraid that they might pass out. And that that's something that they can't. That's it's almost like a glass wall. It's a it's a glass ceiling that they're afraid to break through. And he also kind of said something interesting. It was among the lines of. Um, we've got people on this team that want to win. And it almost kind of sounds like implying that not everybody is just dead set on winning and that some people are just kind of content and they settle, which, I mean, you see that when you're down 20 against Indiana or when, you, when you're down late in the game against Ohio State. I think that, that, that pretty much does it for our basketball talk. <laughs> I think we, we kicked that one out there. Anything more to add anybody? Um, I, like I said, I, this game against Purdue is, is going to be a toss-up. I think it's, it's all going to be really kind of set in the first few minutes of the game. If they come out and they go on a big run early, then I, they're going to be in the driver's seat. It's going to be up to them. But if they kind of let Purdue hang around, and Purdue's a really good team. You can't let a good team like that really kind of flirt with you the entire game because it's just going to come back to bite you in the end. I mean, for, you know, all serious purposes, this this is – this is Purdue's win. I mean, it is like MSU hasn't shown the right to say that you know they uh, you know you know this is theirs. You know they're gonna have to go out and they're gonna have to show it, and you know they're gonna have to really prove you know to people that you know they got it in the bag and they could do these kind of things. They're gonna have to go out and they're gonna have to play hard. I mean, they're this inside out combo that Purdue has. It, holy cow! You're gonna throw it into you know. You're gonna throw it into like Isaac Haas got seven two out there two ninety. No one on this team matches up, and then they're gonna throw it out to guys like Matthias, who's you know shooting the ball almost fifty percent from three. You know you get in an out game like that. They haven't seen. We've seen from previous games that there's at least like three plays. You know, the, I recall the Indiana game, they were doing a good job of contesting threes, and Indiana was making them, but there were a few plays where, you know, Aaron Harris is trying to go communicate with someone on a switch defensively. Next thing you know, defense breaks down, you know, wide open three, and they knock it down. Plays like that. They can't have these kind of things. So they're going to have to come out to Purdue, you know, against Purdue. They're going to come out at home. They're going to get all the energy that they need from the fans. You know, I'm, I'm sure the Breslin's going to be rocking. They're going to have to take it, and they're going to have to go with it because they really got to show – that, um, you know, they can compete with the big boys because, you know, they played the tough schedule in the early. You can't really make that as much of a reflection because of it. But now is the time where they've had enough time to play. They need to show that they can actually, you know, compete in the league. 
When we come back, we'll discuss, like I said at the top of the hour, is Tom Brady the best quarterback in NFL history right after the break? Welcome back, everybody, on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm Stephen Oshansky here with Casey Harrison and Connor Clark. And, well, what we teased you about before, and it's kind of the great uh, conundrum of all types of sports everywhere, is who's the best of all time? And and football, you get us different picks on selections now, or for positions. And Tom Brady now reaches his seventh Super Bowl as the Patriots kind of dismantled the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers last Sunday. And, you know, they've played the Atlanta Falcons now in the Super Bowl, you know, coming up. And, you know, with his career and what he's done and how many Super Bowls he's won now, and you kind of look back and you go, who is he considered the best quarterback of all time in the NFL? And Casey, I want you to, to give me the argument for or against. Is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback in the NFL? Well, I'm going to go with four. And he's not my favorite quarterback, but I'm a numbers guy. And... I was talking to our resident um, Patriots fan by the name of John LeBlanc. Shout out, John. Um, Going down a dangerous road here. And, I mean, he was he was wearing his uh, Pats jersey on Sunday. He was just so excited about the game. He, he had no really kind of doubt in his mind that uh, the Pats are going to come away with a win in that game. And I think if you look at Tom Brady, I mean, he comes in as a sixth-round draft pick. I mean, you don't expect to get – the greatest quarterback of all time for that kind of draft pick. I mean, it it really kind of just goes to show you how well that one, the, the Patriots organization does at developing talent. And I'm going to go back to Tom Izzo's press conference. Actually, he told us a stat cause he was talking about Bill Belichick and how he works so well with guys that buy into the system and that all of their guys, there's only two first round draft picks on that team and both of them were traded for. That's that's pretty interesting to me and in just how well that organization develops talent. But I don't I don't really know the numbers per se because we're kind of doing the shorthanded, but I I would say that he's better in the playoffs than Peyton Manning, who's personally my favorite quarterback. And it, I mean, you look Tom Brady's record in the playoffs is a lot better than Peyton Manning's. Um he's better than Brett Favre metrics wise and um I, I would say just in terms of just watching him play just getting a, a feel for how he throws and how he finds receivers and how he leads a game um other than that i mean uh, steven you're the football guy show me show me your expertise oh uh, i used to be against i used to i think it was part of me was just i hated the patriots in a sense so i kind of carried over that i just disliked tom brady you know it was almost like uh they became the yankees to me yeah, I in terms see of that. I, I didn't like him. I mean, I come from one fan base that's probably insufferable, as you both know. Um, but you know, so I I get why why people don't like you know certain big time teams. But and then I you know I kind of thought about it clear. The guy is probably the best quarterback in the NFL history, and the way I think he carries himself on and off the field, the way he manages a game, and I think partly, too, he may be a product of, of the system that he's in. I mean, Bill Belichick runs a well-oiled machine that all centers around Tom Brady's throwing abilities and being able to, you know, see the field clearly. Like, there are times where I'm like, how the hell did he put the ball there? You know, it's almost like an Aaron Rodgers type thing where he just gets into the right spot when he has to be there. But he's never, 
Do you ever you ever notice like he doesn't scramble very often? The man doesn't run. Like obviously he's not a running quarterback, but you trust the pocket and he's had the best kind of offensive lines you some in some of these years and he but he always steps up and finds a guy until the last minute and he'll take his shots. But he never I've never seen him, you know, be down and out in in terms of a lot of those games and he it seems like anytime Tom Brady is at quarterback or, or commanding a, a Patriots team, that's never a game they're ever going to be out of. You yeah, know what I mean, I, I, I kind of look at it as I used I used to want to be the guy who was oh it's Joe Montana, but I guess it'd be an argument for my parents or even with my dad because <laughs> my dad would probably might say Joe Montana because that's who he watched growing up, right? So, but I think in my lifetime, I've never seen anybody. Um, I've never seen anybody relatively close to the way Tom Brady can manage a game or throw a football. Clark, anything you got to add to this? I, you know, I think the impressive part, the impressive part with Brady, uh, not only your point about you know his his combine thing was you know I you know I keep watching it every now and then because it's kind of funny to watch. You know, he's just you know he's not he's really scrawny. He comes in, he's, you know, he's slow. And people are looking at him, especially in today's world, everything's, you know, based on how athletic you are, how high do you jump, how fast do you run, you know, that's what they're going off of. But yet, you know, they look at mental IQ and all of a sudden, you know, you know well, we can, we can coach that. Well, I mean, he's done it the opposite way. And, uh, you know, I, like, kudos to, I mean, kudos to him for, you know, doing all that. And I think what also is really impressive is, you know, if I look at, like, the dominant receivers that, you know, go through that, who he has, I mean, yeah, he had Randy Moss for a little bit, but, you know, I look at, like, this year with Hogan, I mean Edelman's fine, but I'm not, I'm not looking there. It's no, you know, it's no show-stopping names, and I don't hear like, you know, it's him and uh, Antonio Brown or him and Julio Jones. Like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not hearing any of that. They find ways to manufacture me. It's done without Gronk all year. I mean, Gronk's, in, in, you know, he's enjoying his, you know, box seat right now. You know, get to come and watch the game. I mean, most, I'm, exactly, yeah. Him and Kraft are going enjoying it. You know, you know, he can touchdown spike, you know, up there, whatever parties he's going at afterwards without having to worry. But, you know, exactly, you know, exactly. He's probably <laughs> loving it. Right. But that's just, yeah, that's just, you know, what they've been able to do is, I mean, they've had good players. you got to obviously win with good players. But, you know, this team has been crafted on doing your job. And uh, to go back to, you know, Case's point about Izzo, that's what he was, you know, referring to as, you know, basketball's got to do their job. That's how they're going to step up. That was his little connection over, and it's, you know, the same thing. And, you know, when the time comes, like, he step, he steps up. You know, he makes the right reads. He makes the good calls. And although it's frustrating because he doesn't, you know, gun the ball in all the time, doesn't have the strongest arm, and not the fastest legs, he's just a guy you got to respect because of it. Yeah, well, not much debate on this show as to who the greatest quarterback in NFL history was. I, I look in the past, we bring up guys like Joe Montana. I mean, Peyton Manning's probably a close second to Tom Brady, but maybe that gap's bigger than we think um, as well. And I think, well, you, you got to bring up, what, Terry Bradshaw and other, you know, the guys in the past. But to me, I, I think, you know, Tom Brady might, will he always be the greatest quarterback in the NFL? I'm sure there are people who thought Michael Jordan would always be the greatest NBA player of all time, but... Um, maybe that's a save for another Still day. Uh, we can debate with the Chicago Still kid, the Chicago kid, Connor Clark, another day. But that pretty much does it for our show. I want to add one more thing real quick. I mean, going back, I want to make a little Detroit connection to oh, this. Oh God! And see, ah. that's that's the difference between Tom Brady and a guy like Matt Stafford. Ooh. Because for eight straight years, all you've heard, if you live in the Metro Detroit area, is yeah, we got to get Matt Stafford some weapons. Like we got to, we got to make sure that he's got the right tools to do it. And that's the thing. Tom Brady doesn't need anybody else, really. He he 
has his line, and then he can make a receiver out of anybody with two hands and working legs. And that's something that Matt Stafford doesn't really have the capability to do, and that's why I don't get why Matt Stafford is considered to be anywhere even remotely close to a top-tier quarterback. He's a middle-of-the-pack guy at the most, and yeah, he might be able to get you back, or he might be able to get you in a comeback late in the game, Hmm. but when you're down three of the four quarters in nearly every single game that you've played. That they played against, too, or against teams that weren't very good. Exactly. <laughs> and you look at his all-time record against teams that have winning records, and they're not very good. Like, he's he's like 1-30-something in 30 something against teams with winning records. And that, yeah, I mean, Connor said it right there. It hits the head on the nail. The Lions just... I think it's uh, enough is enough. Uh, just get a new guy already. <laughs> oh, wow. Casey Harrison wanted to get rid of Matt Stafford in, in Detroit. Well, popular, if you want to be taken... Popular opinion. If you, <laughs> I'm messing with you. Go ahead. If you want to be taken as a legitimate football organization, then stop getting a guy that you're only going to make excuses for for almost an entire decade. Send him. Please send him to Chicago. I'll... I, I, I will welcome you with open arms. Anyone to get rid of color, I will do that. And what kills me is you know, I still think that that second time against the Bears, the Bears still should have won it. And they gave him so much praise because this is when, like, Stafford had MVP talks and he threw that pick six to put them down, but he wins it. And everyone's like, ah, oh, Stafford again. He threw the pick six to get him into the situation. I didn't get it. But, you know, I, I would still always take him. I mean, he's still... He's still a good quarterback. As ironic as it is, you, know, you lose Calvin Johnson, and yet all of a sudden, boom, all this other stuff opens up for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Clark also is still salty that uh, LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, but Stop that's that. for another Stop day. That. <laughs> no. We'll talk about that next podcast. Yikes. Is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan? No. We'll talk yes. about that in the next no. one. No. Connor Clark will be a sh- will be a special guest on Thursday. Yeah, you have God. to commit yeah. now. Yeah, I'll be back. Absolutely, I'll be back then. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk MSU's matchup with Purdue. Casey, any final thoughts on today's show? Uh, it's always an honor to have my good friend Connor Clark on the show, fellow basketball reporter. Check out her stuff. Uh, check us out on Twitter. Um, Steven is our designated newsroom personality. I'll let you take it from here, buddy. We'll see you all on Friday. Have a good week.